I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How you doing? I'm good, brother. You all right? I'm trying to do like a kind of cool Huey voice. You'll never touch it, mate. It's not happening, Don't bother. No, 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 no. You, yeah, the coolest you've ever looked, I'm not even going to dig you out here, was when we did the zombie thing and you was running around... Uh, as a, a shopping mall holding a shotgun and you did look like a G there I must trench say coat on, mate. and that was it that was your one one time every other time it's called Rettenden Chic pathetic cretting oh, yeah. I would say <laughs> Rettenden Chic <laughs> welcome back to part two of Hardcore Listing with uh, Chris Chu and our special guest who are you? Huey Morgan man um mate it was good fun wasn't it yeah it was proper um Sure, he didn't disappoint. Do you know what? There's every week we get to sit down with people that we're fucking so excited to meet and chat with, and this certainly weren't no exception. Do you know what I mean? No. It was like we grew up fucking loving, fun-loving criminals, and and now I'm locked into six music, and and Huey's a dude on that, and and we we didn't mention it on the podcast, but I know we spoke about it. Like our previous guest, the Milk. Um, Huey's a massive fan plays them yeah. out of six music all the time big supporter and the milk also toured with Fun Loving Criminals yeah, um, only a month or so ago so um, just a fucking good guy yeah and who knows his shit and knows his MCs and that's what this is about so enjoy part two it's a drunken soiree in the within <laughs> Chris and Stu present Our Core Listing, the podcast. So, should we do a number four? Oh yeah, number four. I think that was Cool G Rap. Yeah. Now, Cool G Rap, The Streets of New York, Ill Street Blues, the two big hits you probably know from those guys, right? He was so dope lyrically and flow-wise that no one really ever mentioned that he had a speech impediment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he was like, what's that dude? Uh... Not Syl Johnson, the guy that did me and Mrs. Jones. Billy Paul. Billy Paul. Billy Paul. Me and Mrs. Jones. I mean, <laughs> it was a dope song, so you didn't go, motherfucker, got a speech impediment. But uh, Big love to those lists, by the way. <laughs> no, no, I, I, no, I, no, I, that's the, no I got, I'm not hating on people with a speech impediment. I hate on people with a time of this. But I'm just saying, like, the, the fact that this dude was like a rapper, yeah. like a hard rapper, too. Like, he was a hard rock dude as well. That and he, you know him, him. I just thought that his flow and his whole persona epitomized like a rap MC of the time. Like he was just who he was, 
uh, and I always say like, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, you're, you're either, you're an, no man is an island except if you're a rapper and then you have to be an island, right? And this dude was a self-contained island. I mean, he could do it all. He was, he yeah. was really good on freestyle stuff. He was really good on recorded stuff. You know, he had, he had the, 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 the ghetto was with him and also the bougie girls were with him. It, it was, it was just, that Molly was the, was huh? Molly Mo. No, it was Cool G Rap and DJ Polo. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. Polo was a great DJ. And Polo, yeah. he could have done, I mean, that, that was back in the day where the DJs would pick the rappers that they wanted yeah. to be in a band with Premier picked Guru, right? And it was yeah. like, that's how they did shit. The, like everybody knew Primo was the fucking man. So Primo, he picked the rapper that could best do his shit. Polo picked this guy and everybody was like, hmm. And then he just showed everybody that he knew what the fuck he was doing. And that was the first guy for me who kind of encapsulated the thing about hip hop that was the, the street, the flow, the uniqueness, also the fact that he was unapologetic. He wasn't trying to conform. Because you figure a lot of dudes, given that kind of situation, would try to lose a little bit of the speech impediment or would try to gain a little bit more of a, of a centrist kind of like t subject matter. I mean, if you listen to like Ill Street Blues, or, or yeah, um, you know, Streets of New York, Ill Street Blues in particular, mm -hmm. that's a great fucking song. It actually spoke directly to all, all the gangsters, man, in, in New York. Yeah, I mean, this is, also granted, keep, I'm saying subjectively, because yeah. I lived in the bubble in New York yeah, until yeah. maybe 10 years ago. So for me, that was what made the difference. So if this guy, and I'd see, I'd see these guys out and how people would react to him, and the girls loved him. Mm -hmm. And he was not a pretty guy, he was not a pretty man, but girls loved him because he was self-confident. He had all this fucking swagger. Time. Yeah. Because LA, like ST and other areas, they were doing more of that mafioso yeah. gangster yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I'll notice really, on my list, one yeah. of the first ones in New York to really yeah. be more street. That actually got allowed to do that because yeah. that's the, those those songs when they first started coming out. That was like the second wave, really, right? So when those guys came out with their stuff, it was like who could be harder but more realistic? You're like I'm working now with these guys in a prison. They're starting their own record labels. The first record label ever started in a UK prison, right? And the fact that these guys. Are doing what they're doing it makes everybody who thinks they're hard trying to pose and do that shit outside of jail look irrelevant yeah right and it's just that that's the it's i guess it's the authenticity it's of of cool g rap that was just like and i think people can pick up on that and now i think we're so conditioned to expect a different thing like we're ex we expect justin bieber to wear his hat a little bit tilted yeah, and walk yeah. the way all like this because it's la and we know that's not real but he wouldn't walk anywhere else like that you know and yeah, we accept yeah. that like he's he's a really great singer from canada though and <laughs> that's a great one you know you know what i'm saying so, so that kind of thing is okay because we've been incrementally dumbed down to accept yeah. that as our as our our music now i mean look at drake i mean shit look at all the mumble rappers like lil uzi vert and Little Yachty and all these fucking guys, man. They're kind of like the kids with the tattoos all over their faces and shit. That's good for like the next couple of years, but they're not selling records like Cool G Rap did. They're, they're maybe streaming a bunch of things. They're maybe doing those little club gigs to get 20 grand a night or whatever and then holding it up like it's a phone. But that's just going to be over. I mean, Cool G Rap, he sold millions and millions of records. So that's yeah. an interesting note as well. Because back when I first got into music, that was in the late mid 90s, right? Late mid 90s, like 96. People were buying records, and we sold 10 million of them, right? And I got Please. I got a lot of money that from that. Pretty much the last yeah. point in, in yeah. music where that money was there, yeah. pretty much. Like, oh, absolutely not pretty much. I mean, you look at like uh, look at 
Rihanna or Drake or any of the people who are on the tops of the charts in the UK, right? The charts now have to represent streaming because if they represented just sales, yeah. you'd have people like, uh, literally you'd have people like the dude and take that, not the Robbie guy, the, the dude who makes all the writes all the music. Barla, yeah, yeah Barla, he'd be on the top of the charts yeah. and people would be frustrated. Oh, we can't get our chart right because the people who buy shit are people our age and, and, and older that are like, oh, we want to actually buy stuff. Kids yeah. now, they just pick up their device and they just... And they don't own anything, so there's no real ownership of uh, of the talent. There's no real like kind of like there's no fan club thing happening. We're like remember back in the day, you don't know much about somebody, so you join their fan club and yeah. they'll tell you what their real name yeah, is, maybe you know. Like so it's yeah, like yeah. yeah. But that's changed how bands earn money, right? Like, no, yeah. That whole thing. So well, the 360 your, deal came yeah, in effect, yeah. and I remember someone was talking to me about. It. I was like, why would you fucking do that? Mm. They're like, well, there's no other way we can yeah, get in the business. The yeah, yeah. They, they, they're like, there's no way we can get in the business. Yeah. And for us, that was just totally fucking foreign. Because so 360 deal for anyone that's listening. Yeah, yeah. Got a clue. That's merchandise, touring, the whole shebang. Yeah, publishing, it? you name it. The, yeah. the record company or the label, they're not even a record company anymore. They're just like a pimp. Yeah. They're just taking pretty much a little bit of every dick you suck, yeah. you know? <laughs> and the thing is, nowadays, you have to suck a lot of dicks. We didn't have to yeah. suck many dicks, if any, yeah. when yeah. we came out, because it was... We were we were lucky. We got a, we got an eight record deal from EMI. We were producing right. our own music. We had our own publishing, all that kind of stuff. So we got set up really kind of. It was kismet in a lot of ways where we got, came up with our shit and we were let alone. We were left alone. They were like, just do whatever you're fucking gonna do. We don't understand, but but, but people like it, so just fuck it. It's kind of like how I do my radio yeah. show. They're like, we don't know what the fuck. No algorithm can predict what you do, <laughs> so just fucking do yeah, it. Yeah. But that was the fundamental premise yeah. because to me. Throughout the 90s, all the clubs that I was DJing in were indie clubs. Yeah. You know, and Britpop was booming, but you sat in that as well. Yeah, well, it was, it was us and Britpop, which is great because the oh, dichotomy yeah. showed how, how different we actually were. Yeah. I remember meeting all those dudes and they were yeah. like, we love your shit, man. But those dudes would never sit with each other and say, I love yeah. your shit because they were all in competition with each other. Yeah. Like Oasis and Blur and Pulp and, you know, all those dudes, yeah. like Charlotte, they were all fucking, you know, hating on each other. Now they all love each other because they're still alive. Yeah. But back then it was like we were hanging out with all these dudes now like, yeah fuck those dudes over there like what they do they do what we do you know it's so that was kind of good for us especially over here i mean it was it you just said headline like reading and, and shit like that oh, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, they're, they're indie festivals predominantly then yeah and like and well there were it, yeah you, uh, v97 97. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was a lot of fun, dude. That, that was, was a great uh, one, yeah, man. Yeah. I remember we rolled around, we all had our windbreakers, the FLC FBI yeah, jackets. Yeah. That we still, I still have mine, man. Yeah, that, it was cool. It was cool to be in a band like ours then because we, the, the, one, the only person that was your boss, so to speak, was the public. And it wasn't the record company, it wasn't the media. They all kind of followed suit from the public. And now the public follows the media and you know the tastemakers. Definitely, see, and it's the, it is the tastemakers, it's in advertising. Yeah. And you see, and then what ends up happening is they advertise certain products now. People have a certain expectation. It mm -hmm. all becomes homogenous, it all becomes yeah. the same. Yeah. The money is in a very, very narrow margin. Granny's got to like it, and the 16 year old girl's got to like it at the same it. time. And then yeah. Everyone else is left to fucking fend for themselves it. and earn money. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's difficult for a band to earn money, like just off record yeah. sales. I remember Pip saying this to me back in, I don't know when this was. It's got to be five, I don't know if it's five, six, seven years ago, and he was like, well, there's not, there's not a lot of money in fucking re releasing records. I was like, dude, we're well, going to have to find how that money is made. Yeah. And, 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 and his live shows, he'd always do his merch and mm -hmm. shit. It all become a much more important part of it because yeah. well, he fucking had to, basically. It wasn't going to just be in record sales. Yeah, it, that, that was a unique situation. And I remember like a couple of years after that, it's probably on our third record, because what we did, we sold, we kept going uphill until 
Welcome to Poppies, and then all the, the streaming shit came in, and then people were like, you know, why are we going to buy a record when we can just listen to it when we fucking want? And I can understand that, but I remember it was, I think it was like Loco. It was like our mm. fourth release, right? Because it was, yeah. comes find itself 100% Colombian, Mimosa, and Loco. And Loco, we, we were trying to put the record out, and, and we were getting from our product manager, like, none of the record, none of the, none of the radio stations are feeling this, you know? And I was like, well, we just got to think outside the box. And he was like, I don't do that. I'm in the big box called a record company. I, I, was, I was like, well, I, I think outside the box. And we got a deal with Miller Beer because they were trying to put Miller Genuine Draft out. Yeah. So I had a meeting with these guys. And Lucas, right, that. Yeah, I was like, yo, we got to fucking get this record out. We have to get people hearing this music. That was the thing. Is I, said, I thought if people could hear it, they'd either like it or they wouldn't like it, but we got to give them a chance to yeah, like yeah, it yeah. or not like it. Because if they don't hear it, they're not going to... They don't know. Can't make the decision. So for me to get that out, I was like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll have to do a sync deal. Yeah. Right? And now, sync deals are what the first thing you fucking do. You're like, what, what large fucking conglomerate will fucking play this music 20 times a day on multi-platforms to get this fucking music out there? And that's what people do now. And I, I used to... I, I thought I was a genius, but I... It was the irony... I always say irony because I, I, I pronounce words incorrectly on purpose. But the irony of it was... We had done this deal, and we were very happy that we had a number one here in, in the UK. Uh, the album was number one in the, in the UK. I think we were top ten in the US, like all around the different markets around the world. And I was fucking feeling like I had done some shit. All my boys were like, yeah, you fucking did good. Yeah, I was like, yeah, great. And my manager's like, hey, we got the we got the check. I was like, what check? And he's like, from the beer company. I was like, oh shit, because we, we didn't even think. I negotiated something, but I didn't, that wasn't what the important bit was. That was the a Yeah, and it was, and then it came in, it was like a cup of milk, yeah. and we were like, fuck. You know, that was like, oh, let's all fucking chill, go to Hawaii <laughs> yeah, for a yeah, couple yeah. months. Yeah. And that's how it, I mean, if you're doing things to make money, you're not going to make money. If you do things to fo further your goals, money will come. I think that's... that's and that's why you have to look at shit now when you're making you can music. Never, you can't look at Z, like, you can't look, Z can't be money. Yeah. You can't be, oh, that's my ultimate goal. Yeah. You've got to be passionate about something. Obviously, it won't it won't work. Mm. Like we we did a we did a podcast with the guys who do the cereal killer cafe, right? So it's, they just sell fucking cereal, right? Yeah. And there's loads of people who tried to uh, mimic that, and the people who are mimicking it are doing it for one thing. Yeah, to make money. money yeah, making money, and they can't last because you've got to fucking care yeah, about love what it, yeah. you're doing because you're through it. Well, the thing is, we're so we're so attuned now. Yeah. To, you won't be able to persevere when you're hit with challenges. If your heart ain't in it, you'll be like, oh, fuck that. Because yeah. It's only for money. yeah. Why, why am I doing like, I've this? Got to do this? Why am I going through this shit for just fucking cash and check? You're not going to be yeah. able to do if, it. If yeah. you feel like, oh fuck, I have to do I this. Do it. It's yeah. not about the money. It's That's being compelled to do something. Yeah. I, I wrote this book about rebellious spirit in, right. in music, right? And the idea behind it was people being compelled to make music, not for money, but to express their their shit. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's got something That's burning right. inside them. A while ago, didn't it? Yeah, it came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it did really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was about it was about the rebellious spirit in music and how hopefully it'll come back at some point. But like you said, man, everything's so narrowly focused that to be outside of that little kind of sweet spot, you're kind of taking your, your life in your own hands. But I think because we have so much data in our everyday lives. We're going to start looking outside that narrow focus for the things that we like, be it podcasts or music yeah. or entertainment. I went to the movies yesterday to see the fucking Lego Ninjago movie with my boy and right. my wife. Cause like my little girl was with my grand with grandparents. So I was like, I oh, would we'll take the boy out to like old. There was nobody in the fucking, we were in bath too. It wasn't like I was in some backwaters in bath yeah. at the view. There was nobody there. Yeah. And I was like, Oh shit. That's why no one's there. Cause they're doing it every other way. And that's the whole point now. If you can get outside 
the sweet spot and your motivation isn't financial and you believe in it, it's going to transcend, man. You'll get the money eventually. You much or if, money. If, yeah, yeah, money will come because people will see that you're genuine. Yeah. And ge being genuine in this day and age is very, very rare. It's a rare bird if you see like, wow, fuck, that dude's not in it for the money. What the fuck? Let's give him some money. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. The, and if you're trying to play like the guy who doesn't want money to get money, you're not going to get money. Yeah. So <laughs> you're damned if you do. It's catch-22. So should we go to number... Should we do number three? Yes, do it. That was Slick Rick. The ruler. The ruler. Dude, um, once again, man, a British-born yeah. rapper. Right? The oh, first. you found that out tonight. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we were talking this morning. Um, we mentioned Slick Rick and said, yeah, London. I was like, what? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think he probably spent like a year or two he in England. For, <laughs> he won't for long. But, he, yeah. you know, he used to pose that English accent on his rhymes. Yeah. And you're like, hmm. And we used to think he was just a clever motherfucker who could do yeah, accents, yeah. but he was probably imitating his mom. Yeah. But, yeah, he was amazing because it was literally stories that... You know, the more you listen to him, like Dave, the dope feed, shoot, and dope. I mean, you'd get into every little act because it wasn't throwaway. A lot of the stuff that was happening around that time, would, I wouldn't say throwaway, but you knew what the rhyme was. You know, like, you know, like my Adidas or something like that. You knew where the rhyme would go, where, yeah. the, where the story would go. But with Slick Rick, it was like he's taking you on a journey that only he knows where it ends. Yeah. And I thought that was important. And also... Remember that ethos where people say, like, it's not the destination, it's the journey? Yeah. Yeah. I feel that's really important in rap music and hip-hop music and, and with MCs in particular because, you know, you guys DJ clubs, right? How many people come up to you and say they want to hear the music they were just listening to in their car or just listening to on their fucking phone? Why do they want to listen to it in some place that they pay to get into to listen to somebody else's perspective on life? That's, what we're, that's where we're lost. Yeah, yeah. And I think... That's what guys like Slick Rick really came in handy, for me anyway, because he told me about things I had no fucking idea about and things I had to listen to again and get that idea and get that rhyme. And, you know, it was just really, it was interesting and it was, it was involved. And it was kind of like when I was a kid, I'd have a, a, like an allowance, right? And I'd go and buy a record. Like I remember I bought uh, the Rock Pile record, which was like Dave Edmonds and Nick Lowe or something. They put a record out. And I didn't get it at first, right? And I wasn't like, fuck it. You know, because I couldn't. I just spent my fucking weeks yeah. shit on it. So I, the, the burden was on me to understand someone else's point of view. That's what art is. You know, yeah. you, the burden's on the, 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 it's in the, on the beholder. Right? It's like, that's the, it's on me to figure out what that person's perspective on life is. That enriches me. That's what art is, be it visual, musical, whatever. So that's how I looked at stuff. So when I heard Slick Rick, I, I didn't get it immediately, but I knew something was there. And there's always like a little tickle where you're like, shit, that dude's crazy interesting. And also, he was a, like an amazing character, too. I mean, and he was another real motherfucker that would roll around with all that fucking gold on and a little pistol, man. He, he had he, a crazy he, fucking time, like, So he ended up doing time, but he ended up doing time because... Free Slick Rick, I had that t-shirt, man. He ended up doing time because he's minder. Like one of his bodyguards ended up trying to embezzle him and all mm. that other shit. And he and whooked he him up. And he threatened him and he lit him up. He, fucking, <laughs> he saw him one day after he heard he had death, death threats and slick just fucking lit him up. And next thing he shot someone else. But I, I feel sorry for him in that situation because this guy was a cunt, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and I kind of felt sorry for him, him having to serve time and all that for that. But he, he did he shoot was, some people. I mean, yeah, to be fair. I mean, he he's probably in jail like, I did shoot that motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. But he, but he was slick Rick in jail, man. like, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, he bounced back and he wrote some, you know, what was, what was his last one? It was The Art of Storytelling. Yeah. And um, 
it's just his voice and how, like you say the journey he takes you on Lardy yeah. Doddy is a fucking banger yeah and, and like Lardy Doddy I mean I kind of vicked a little bit of that and kind of switched it up but yeah. that was so much of a part of my lexicon growing up that was just part of it you know Lardy Doddy and then like John God it, 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 I can't even think of a time that I didn't connect those yeah, two yeah yeah of course well and also I, so I was looking I didn't notice until yesterday I was looking into this but I think Lardy Doddy is one of the most I think it's been done it's been used 600 oh, yeah. times yeah 600 times in other tracks. You know, obviously Snoop did another yep. quite a, a, a well-remembered one. But yeah, fuck me, 600. I didn't realise it had been used that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a real... It, it, and like, I always see cultural touchstones when I talk about criminals' music because that's kind of how I thought how we approached it. Yeah. Like, when we came up with that idea for John Gotti, doing a song about John mm -hmm. Gotti, we're like, well, you know, we all got to get behind it and be like... And I was like, well, like a laddie... And then, like, oh, duh. And... It just made sense, and everybody who understood Slick Rick got that joke, yeah, right? You know, yeah. we likes to party, we don't cause trouble, we don't want to, and that's kind of the way we were trying to approach the, the whole irony of John Gotti's yeah. horrible <laughs> existence, you know what I'm saying? And I remember I, I told I told the story on stage one time, someone was like asking me about how that song came about, and we had to clear it with John Gotti's son. When we came out that record, we were in New York, man. Shit's real in New York. We had to check with him. Because if we didn't check with him and he didn't like it, we could die. Yeah. It was simple as that. Yeah, and yeah, Fast yeah. was like, I don't want my head said to me. And I was like, I get it. <laughs> so I knew some guys because I knew some guys. And I said to those guys, can you get me to this guy to sit with them? And, you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a couple months pass and I go out to Ozone Park. And I'm like, yeah, all right. I'm in a restaurant with him and another guy. And they're really nice. I don't feel like I'm keeping my own counsel. I'm not going to fucking be like, yeah, it's irony. I was just like, all right, so you guys heard, I said, you heard the music. He's like, yeah, I did. I was like, I'm sitting here, uh, kind of asking for permission to put this out. He's like, you have it. Thank you. Oh, right. And I was like, he goes, thank you for being respectful enough to actually come with it. It's not my kind of music. I don't particularly like it, but I, I, you know, I, I think my dad would mind it. And I was like, all right, cool. And I got out of there real fucking quick before someone with, a fucking a smudge of fucking insight was like they're really being ironic about him being the king of New York you know and I was like ah but yeah I mean I now lived them both man oh, yeah. Jesus, that must have been a bit of a 50 piece 20 piece man you must be yeah but you know like, but like I trust myself right, right. so I, I knew you know I knew what I could get away with and also I knew that they wouldn't kill me then and there so I knew that I, I knew that I, I could tell that if they were really, really nice to me, I was gonna get it. If they were like, "Hey, oh, we love you," but oh, the guy, yeah. they weren't really yeah. nice to me. They yeah. were kind of like, death, yeah, yeah they, they, they were, they were just kind of like, "Who's this fucking kid?" He, he knows some people, so we just got to fucking. He's gonna, he's, he's gonna get the fuck out, so we keep doing what we're doing. So it was kind of like the, I knew that because I wasn't there long that it wasn't that big a deal. He's, uh, he's seen the trailer for the new film. No. Oh, with John Travolta? Yeah. Funny they don't fucking Travolta use our track, right? <laughs> they should use our track, man. That would be dope. Yeah, See, that would be a sync deal. Yeah, that would yeah, be like the sync deal of the century, yeah, man. Definitely. John Travolta, man, I, I don't, I mean, when he came back and did like Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction yeah, yeah. I was like, all right, bet. And then like you hear all this muddle of the Scientology yeah, and shit yeah. like that. And you know what? I, it's like we know too much about people nowadays that it's hard to separate the artist from the person. That's right, so it's harder to enjoy his roles now. Yeah, like I can't, like, I, I, fucking, yeah. I can't stand Tom Cruise now because I know he's <laughs> a fucking idiot. I, you know? I, I can't get excited about Beck anymore. He's the fucking love Beck. Yeah, Beck can make a good, like I said something recently, like, yeah, Beck makes a good record. 
He does. I mean, he makes a good record, but he's not my shit. So the era that you guys came out, that yeah. was fucking huge, wasn't he, man? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I saw Beck. Yeah, I hung out with. It was like watching the fucking Temptations. It was amazing. Yeah, but Beck, Beck was—he's a different kind of guy, though. He's like a little bit of a quirky dude. But I remember hanging out with him in Everlast in Sweden, trying to smoke weed out of a fucking soda can, you know, because you have no rolling papers, kind of thing. And we're like, Beck, man, you got anything? He's like, 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 of course not. You know, like, you're like, all right. And he was wearing like a. Captain Stubing like a cravat and like a blue blazer and a captain's hat and shit. We were like next level, dude. But he was cool. He was a nice guy, man. He's mostly fucking cheese. Yeah, he's mostly yeah, great cheese. The new one he did, it, it sounds good. It's a good record. It's not something that's my shit, but. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now, respect to Sleep Week was a dude. Um... Yeah, he was an English lad. I found out, so I knew he was English, right? Because obviously at some point I've looked into it. But um, one of my rappers, favourite rappers, which is done on the uh, MCs, done on the strength of one, only one or two records, was Young MC. Uh, when he did like Boston. <laughs> I like Boston, it was cool, but Know How, I loved Know How. But yeah, he's an, yeah. he was an English dude. I never knew yeah, that. I, yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. Well, no, he was on Delicious Vinyl, right? Yeah, yeah I knew the, the, the Dust Brothers, those guys. Right. They did that great record with the Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique. That was a great yeah, amazing record. Amazing record, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those guys were good. They did Tone Locus shit too, Tone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to have a shirt, the Delicious Vinyl shirt. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Back in the day. Oh, I thought about Eggman. Oh. Eggman. <laughs> you know, do you hear the original version of that? The punk rock yeah. version of Eggman? Because the song yeah. is about them throwing eggs at their boy, right? Yeah. And yeah, there's, just check it out. The Eggman, there's two versions. There's the Eggman, Egg, Egg Rain on Mojo, right? Which is like... Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's one that's like a punk rock, like... Eggman! Yeah, it's good, bro. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can Google that shit, man. When you're on the train or whatever later, just check it. You get it on... I think you could probably get it on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, everything's on fucking YouTube now, right? Yeah. So, what's next? Are we going to go... Should we do number two? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you... Well, what's next was Rakim, and we kind of talked about Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, he just... He was the one for me that was the one that made me realize that so much more was possible in hip-hop, you know? 
I mean, he was using jazz samples for the first time. You know, Eric B was putting them in there. And his growl, and I mean, it was that, that song, Know the Ledge from the, the Juice movie. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, it's just sick. And just, he, he let me realize, and I, probably a whole generation of other dudes as well. I mean, probably a lot of the guys in Tribe were listening to that kind of stuff. That you could, and, and Primo, I know, because Primo's worked with Rakim, and I had Primo on my podcast because he's a friend of mine from New York. And my wife used to be his agent. Right, it's a long story, but Primo was one of those guys that, I guess, realized that there was no, the only barriers you were there were the ones that you made for yourself, you know? So like jazz music and rock music, he grew up in Texas playing football before he moved to Brooklyn, right? And he was hanging out with white dudes and they listened to rock music and he'd appreciate certain parts of that, you know? And that, that kind of allowed him to be the, one of the best producers yeah. in hip hop history, right? So I think Rakim in a lot of ways allowed me personally to see the scope of what hip hop could become, in my mind anyway, like what I wanted to do with it. And that was really interesting and cool at the same time. And then of course my number one is Biggie, because he pretty much epitomized everything great and awesome about hip hop, and then he died and everything died. Hip hop sucked that I hate you hop. No, I think it, when he died we all kind of knew that there would never be anybody at, like him again that was able to do all the things he did. I mean, it was. I mean, you know, he's like ugly as ever. You know, he, he, he'd play on the fact that he was not good looking, that he was overweight, but he was so fucking gangster, there was not a woman that would not be with yeah, him. You know, yeah, all, that, all that stuff was really important. And it's besides the fact that his flow was, for me, the be I'd rather listen to Biggie than anybody else. That's why I put him number one. I just think that he was just all over the place in a great way. You know, uh, we cover a, a song, we cover Warning on our new Fun Love Criminals record, which is kind of nuts, but we did. But it, it, it just, you know, when you get to the top of the mountain, Biggie's there. Right. And I don't see anybody, even Jay-Z, I thought Jay-Z was just kind of like the guy who was left alive. I, and, and who knew, and had some, because think about... He was doing stuff with Biggie, wasn't he, before? Like, yeah, but Jay-Z had, Jay had this crew, right? He had Damon Dash and this guy, I, I don't even know if he's... I don't even know if I can really say the guy what he did. But, well, okay, I won't mention his name. I can say what he did. Okay. So there were these three guys that were Rockefeller, right? One guy was, he was an arch criminal, right? He was a crack fucking wholesaler, right? And then he had Damon Dash, who was like this little hustler dude who went to like a like private school in, in New York. And then it was Jay. So the, the three of them kind of were like, all right, it was probably this dude, I can't really say his name, but it was pretty much like, I'm pretty sure you could find out, but he was like, all right, this is how we fucking sell music. We sell it like drugs. And that was, when that started to happen, and that, that was a lot of off the tales of, of Biggie being an admitted crack dealer. And that was like a big, a big deal for someone saying, yeah, I used to actually be a fucking drug dealer, and now I'm a rapper, fuck you, I don't care what you think. And people were like, whoa, cl clutching their pearls and shit, like, oh my God. But when, now we look at it as like, everybody has to have some underground backstory or we're not fucking taking them as legit, right? So that, I think Biggie was the one that started that. And then I think Jay-Z, and Jay-Z's good at what he does, but Nas is better, you know? And if you want to go down that Nas road- Nas might actually be my top five. He's definitely my top 10. Yeah, I mean, the only reason Nas isn't in the top five mm. is because Nas, because Nas is from Queens, man. And Biggie was from Brooklyn. And I lived in Brooklyn. So, okay. <laughs> so that's it. I mean, I love Nas. I think he's great. I listen to Nas all the time. He's a great poet. He, 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 oh, he still is. I mean, yeah. but the thing is, I think at the point of that whole uh, bad boy, fucking puffy shit, whatever he's calling himself now, they, they, that was the top of the mountain. That was the high water mark. And then I think after Biggie died, the water 
receded and we can see where the high water mark is we still see it there but i don't think anybody's really gotten there they've yeah. they've gotten to different points in, in on it but i i just think that jay-z is more of a more of a ceo than like i, I mean it's kind of hard to say because he's really good at what he does i just never really bought into it i didn't get jay-z to start with yeah. i really didn't it took me years. and now it's just it, now it's just he's like a he's like a billionaire and i can't relate to him you know it's like yeah, 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 he, yeah. he married uh, Beyonce and that's great and I don't begrudge any dude getting a good looking girl you know I did I got lucky somehow my girl thought I was good looking I took it and I get it that people want to be like him because it's like you know the the idea of the American dream in a lot of ways mm -hmm. that's what you want a guy comes from very meager beginnings becomes a billionaire yeah that's great yeah that's what we all want to esteem to yeah, right and and not compromise your values and shit like that but as an MC I've never been at a at a Jay Z gig where he's fucking completely smashed me. Where I've just been like, oh my god! And I've seen all these dudes rap because I grew up around him. I've seen. You see Biggie rap? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. I've seen him live, and it was just like, Phew. I saw him at this one gig where he was yelling at his DJ, and his DJ kept fucking up, and it was hilarity. Oh man, it was a summer jam. It's like the summer jam, right. some fucking where. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, he was even if shit fucked up, Biggie didn't give a fuck. And no one else gave a fuck because they know he didn't give a fuck. It, it was just, it was just so. But well, that goes so back to being authentic. an MC, right? As well. Yeah, like, it's so authentic. Yeah. You can roll with it as opposed yeah. to like you, you fucked up my flow now. Yeah, you, you fucked need to reset the song. Because I always thought like if anything went wrong on stage, people would look at me. They wouldn't go, oh yeah, it's probably somebody else. No, they'd look at me like, how are you going to handle this shit? And if you're not rattled, they're not rattled. Yeah. You know, and that's the whole point of being an entertainer, right? Is to to suspend reality, you know? So you're not in your everyday fucking vibe. You're in a special place yeah. that someone brought you to. A master of the ceremony brought yeah, you to this place. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think Biggie was the one for me. So who else didn't quite make a five? Well, shit, there are a lot of them, man. I mean, Q-Tip. Uh, yeah, Q-Tip, he he's an amazing producer, amazing rapper, amazing guy. Uh, I knew him growing up. He went to Mary Bertram. I went to LaSalle, mm -hmm. you know? But basketball, I was never really good, but I played varsity then. He did a verse or something like, what, a, year, a year ago, a year. But a he year did a ago, tracks with Jay Dilla. I mean, he was he was one of the first guys that got Dilla in the bigs. You know, he was like, "Yo, you're fucking great." You know, and and stuff like that. I I was, I was always interested in what the music was doing. So as a guitar player, you know, I was always trying to scale it to like, you know, how interesting is the fucking music? I know anybody can rap, but can anybody be an MC? That was the thing that that, and also. I guess if you think in top 10, it's a wholly different show though, right? Because then it's like, you don't have to actually be fucking horrible and edit motherfuckers. Because yeah. that's the thing. If you're yeah. doing top five, I remember I was sitting with this, with my wife today in the car. She was like, yeah, what the fuck, man? What about this guy? Yeah. I was like, I know, but I got to go fucking hard and edit this shit, you know? So, so what's, uh, what's day to day life for Huey Morgan nowadays? Well, well, day to day is family, man. I, and, and that's because I think I started my family a little bit later than other people did, you know? And, I think that was a good thing for me, and I realized how blessed I am having two lovely kids and a great wife, mm -hmm. and the time to be around them, and the luxury to be around them, because I don't have to work five days a week, nine to five, and that that's kind of what I like to spend most of my time doing. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky where I don't do a nine to five, so I'm kind of like an entrepreneur guy, but the things that I do try to do, I try to do really well, like I try to do a really good fucking radio show, 
and I think I do. I you do. Nailed it. I mean, the six music one's good. I, the people always sleep on my Radio Two shows because they always stick me in some weird fucking time slot. But now everybody listens to shit on demand, so people are starting to go, "Oh yeah, the Radio Two shit's dope. Why they have you on Radio Two? It's like they ask me, they pay me. I fucking give them the good shit. Yeah, you know? I didn't radio come about. Obviously, I got lucky, man. I had, I had done a charity TV show with dogs because I was I'm a big dog That's runner, right. right? Who was that with? It was with uh, Selena Scott and yeah. uh, like oh, it was just a bunch of English dudes and it was it was uh, it was it was here in England uh, duh but I remember I was doing that and this lady who was working for the production company was like Huey you're lovely you should get you should get an agent and do this shit all the time I was yeah. like I couldn't really do it you know what I'm saying because yeah. uh, if I don't believe in it that's why I believe in dogs and shit like that she's like well you can only do shit you believe in no one's forcing you to work yeah. so I said alright you know if you think you got some good shit you can throw my way yeah and they had a radio arm a production radio arm and i think they might have talked to the bbc without talking to me and then they said hey do you want to have a meeting with the bbc about doing a radio show it's like if i could do what the fuck i want yeah and they were like i think that's on the card so they brought me in literally met the this lady who was in charge of like she was the controller of radio two and six music and then the guy who was in charge of radio two and the guy who was in charge of six music and they were like hey you want to do a show? We'll see how it goes. I was like, yeah, but you know, I want to do it my own way. Like, cool. And then I started doing it, and people started liking it. And that kind of, that kind of, they left me alone after that. They were just kind of, hey, just we don't like I said, we don't know what the fuck you're doing, but just keep doing it. So I just kept doing that. So I do that during the week. I spend a lot of time listening to music and new music and stuff. And I think that's an important part of me still keeping my hand in being. A musician, I, you know, granted, I feel like an old jazz dude now because what I do isn't like pop the way it used to be, but I still think it's important enough to keep doing it for the people of my generation, right? So, yeah. and also for my own peace of mind, that's what I do to get my yayos out. So, I think that being in the criminals, and you know, I, it's funny, I, I get to do like narration work, which I always find really funny. Like, I always like to talk like the guy from that movie. Yeah, because so, you've done a few, haven't you? You've done a few, um, even done, you've done a couple of computers. Yeah, I do a couple of computer games. Yeah. I do like a lot of shit for National Geographic. Yeah. I did all the Drugs Inc. I did like five series with them, and it's on Netflix, and my friends get high, and they're like, it's you. Oh. <laughs> and it, it's kind of cool. It's a friend of mine who was sober for a bunch of years, was watching that show religiously, and then he blazed one time and watched the show and was like, it's fucking you, man. After all these years, I, really, I, I knew I loved the show for a reason, but I didn't know it was you. And so I do shit like that. That's kind of fun. I, originally, I started doing all the narration stuff because my kids, like my son, he likes the nature show. So let daddy be the fucking announcer. And like you can't, I love, uh, I love the British announcers. You know, I love Attenborough and all those people. But sometimes you need a real motherfucker telling you that this line's about to fuck that line up for these reasons, you know? Yeah. There's nothing like getting started watching a nature show. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you have a real motherfucker being like, look out, motherfucker. <laughs> So I was doing some, some research into this. I didn't know that you'd, you'd been involved in. You mentioned The Clash earlier. Yeah. You've been producing Strummer's Deptora? Yeah, yeah, Eliza. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, that was a weird thing. Her, her mom, Joe's widow, got in touch with me years ago and said, hey, you know, my daughter's into making music. And I had met her when she was like three or something with Joe. And she's like, she's getting into music. She's hanging out with a bunch of fucking knuckleheads. I'm not gonna mention their names. You got the hang out with Joe Strummer. Yeah, Joe. Well, yeah, that's another story. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, short version of what happened with her is like she said, "Hey, can you? She's got some music. Can you listen to it and tell me what you do?" So I brought him to the studio and we did some shit, and now she's working it out. So it's good. And you know, I I did it for a lot of reasons. Also because I think Joe would have done that for my kid. So I met him at Tea in the Park. We had done a show, and we were changing Larry out of our suits, putting our fucking jeans back on, and we told this dude, Uncle Mike, my boy. Don't let nobody in. We're changing, right? And the door opens. Is Joe Strummer sitting in our underwear? We're like, oh shit, it's Joe Strummer. He's like, guys, what's up? Amazing, cool, fucking awesome. He was awesome in the Mescaleros. Yeah, he was in the Mescaleros. Yeah, and he was, 
you know, he was my fucking John Lennon, man. It's fucking, he's awesome, and he was just the coolest fucking guy. And every time he came to New York, he had a crew in New York that I kind of knew, but then I got to know them better, and we'd all hang out and shit, and we realized if you're hanging out with Joe Strummer, bring sunglasses. Because it's going to turn into one of those things where you leave a bar, <laughs> and you're like, you got to put your glasses on because it's 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, first or something. thing in the morning, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny. <laughs> I've been there so many times, man. Like, I remember the first time, this is, photographer Bob Gruen who took that shot of uh, John Lennon with the New York City yep. shirt and he's like we come out of his bar I'm like holy shit he's like yeah he's like new jack <laughs> he walked out I was like damn I gotta remember that shit but yeah Joe Strummer was he was like <clears throat> he was the the template for anything I did in music I would always ask myself what would Joe do and I always and he never let me down you know I mean I mean, he's been dead a long time, but I still ask him for advice, and I always get it. I always get the, you know, I always get the the straight dope from him because he like, it was just he lived his life with such conviction and not compromising his beliefs and shit. I thought it was admirable, and you know, I, I can't do it as well as him, but I can try, and I think that's a good way to be, especially with, you know, being a real motherfucker in a world of fake bullshit. You know, yeah. you got to try, man. Why did you pick up the guitar? Where, where, where was you? Man, I was in junior high school, like seventh grade, and I was at an assembly. And by chance, my class was sitting in the front row, and there was a little pig nose amp there. And some guy who was in like the year above me, you know, he was in like a trio, and he just, they came out and they played Jumpin' Jack Flash, and like every hair on my body was like, bong. Yeah. I was like, it, it might have been because the amp was like right in front of me, but I was like, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. And it was also like, you know, you, you noticed that girls liked him, yeah. you know, and, and also he was doing something that was, it wasn't sports, it wasn't math, you know, it was like something else. And I just thought that I was a something else person. Like I was really, I did a lot of sport and I did well in school, but there was always something else I thought I could do. And that was it. The music was kind of like a good conduit for my creativity. Women is a good motivator for, yeah. you know, throughout all of human, like man's <laughs> achievements. Like, it's been for the that, love why, of a yeah, woman's you know, Forrest Whitaker said yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, Forrest Whitaker's right, man. <laughs> Fury, thanks a lot. Oh, dude, my pleasure, man. Yeah, that was oh, fun. oh, shit, yo, I didn't know we were here that long, man. That's dope. How long have we been going? Uh, an hour and 20. Yeah, that's so, pretty yeah, cool, good, man. Good, good Dude, thanks so much, Fury. Yeah, man, my pleasure. I'm going to get my ear sucked now. <laughs> not by us, man. No, not by you. I was, you know, like last night, I was like, how much does my wife love me? Will she suck my ear? And it's kind of one of those things, I got to go get my thing, get this wax taken out of my ear man it's like I almost feel like going I put the drops in yeah. and then you're like yeah, yeah, nah hitting the side of your head yeah I'm just beating the shit out of my head <laughs> but yeah great to be with you guys and I'm a yeah, big I fan like, I'll be checking it out as, as well I, I'll be listening to the other podcasts around even that, that John F. Kennedy dude you were talking to <laughs> That's <laughs> <up>. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been we've been spoiled today, mate. Uh, speaking to you guys, um, yeah. So thanks very much. No, you got you good dudes. Like I said, you know, I feel like we're friends, man, because yeah. I listen to your podcast, and now we actually hanging out. No, that's really that's cool, man. You know, you're, you're about in London. We got another club night on. You know, you're welcome to come. Dude, down there it's a pleasure, man. I'll bring a couple of memory sticks and fuck shit up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Smoke weed out front. When <laughs> the security guard came over, I was like, "What's going on over here?" I was like, "Well, you a cop?" He's like, "No." Fuck off. That's where you get so much funny, which I'll tell you after this. What happened? Oh, really? Okay, tell me after. I will never hear. So what did you think of Huey's top five MCs? Where where did yours come in that list? Let's hear them. Let's hear them on Twitter, Instagram. And um, Facebook. And Facebook. Um, that was wicked. I really loved that one. Um, as soon as Huey sent his list through and his choices, I thought this is, this is we're yeah. going to go in on this. Um, shout outs to 
well, firstly to Huey for uh, coming on the show. That was wicked. Yep. Um, and to 76, our producer. Yep. Uh, Brad Acton. Yep. Um, our camera extraordinaire and YouTube whiz. Yep. Um, and to the rest of the Distraction Pieces Network, we give them enough love. Let's give them a quick shout out to RedshiftRebels.com, our clothes company. Yeah, new new um, new collections just yeah, come man. out. Our Grime Wave collection. Yeah, Go yeah. on there if you're if you're fans of um, kind of some fucked up kind oh, of yeah. um, reworkings of iconic uh, pop stars. Pop starlets. For sure. We'll be releasing one a month. Um, yeah, one a month for 12 months. Um, limited edition uh, opportunities to get art prints as well yep. and loads more other good stuff like that. Thanks loads for supporting yeah. the podcast. Every week, as I said, we're still stunned that we're getting to do this because we're just pips mates that have just stumbled across a podcast and you guys listen and support and engage and love and it's fucking great. You slags. Thank you. Peace. It's a drunken soiree in the within. Chris and Stu present our core listing, the podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.